I want to introduce you to the next storyteller, Alana Hicks. Um, Alana is Papua New Guinean Australian. She's a writer, director, and a digital producer. Um, Alana spearheaded the seasons of three seasons of the online sketch comedy series uh, Kvetch Set Sketch Collective. Um, she's, she received the Writing New South Wales Early Career Writers Grant for TV series and development. Um, and recently was awarded a station, a state and national production funding for a short film called Chicken, which is currently in post-production, um, which I work for Australian Film and Television Radio School and we co-funded that, so I'm really happy about that. Um, in summary, Alana is super talented. Um, and on this night, Alana muses on how to straddle multiple cultures, how to connect and how to be home with yourself, um, all the while reminiscing about her high school debating team coming over to her place. Please welcome Alana Hicks. Thank you, Gary. I should have done a wee beforehand. <laughs> um, that's fine. Funerals. The tattooed, lifeless skin, old and beautiful aunties and boo-boos. I don't recall having to kiss any corpses, like my sister said she was forced to, but the wailing is what stayed with me. A tortured noise from the gut for a mother or from a mother. That physical expression of grief is not what I saw at my white grandfather's funeral. People standing around politely, his cheeks rosy, a small smile, insides removed so that we could gaze lovingly at the made-up shell of a dead man. My mother never taught me her language because she thought it might disadvantage me somehow. So I never really knew what to do or what was happening at a house cry or morning house. I would stand awkwardly in the background, blending in against giant sacks of white rice. Even though I was in the village, I wasn't of the village. I was, maybe inevitably, an observer. My people are the Motu-speaking native inhabitants of the southern coastline of Papua New Guinea. My mother's beginnings were in Porabata, a stilt village, houses linked by connected walkways, hovering streets swaying gently above the rising and lowering tides of the Coral Sea, the Venice of the South Pacific, less gondolas or whatever. <laughs> the road to the village was long. In my child's mind, it took an eternity that might have been more like an hour or so. But the further you traveled down that road, you became a different version of you. A you relative to the context, like going through a portal, smoking hills, flashes of bright yellow feathers like spears, dogs sniffing the streets searching for purpose, mangoes hung low and bosses backfired like guns. In the knotted jungle, arms were traded for bodies. It was overwhelming, so I retreated inwards. My world, the interior world, within the six-foot electric fencing behind the 24-hour guard tower circled by sometimes friendly, often vicious Dobermans and pit bulls was fat-backed and set to a laugh track. In this beautiful prison, TV, comic books, and music were my salve. When the tropics overloaded my physical senses, I would escape to an inside that was elsewhere. I manifested a duality that exists within me to this day. When Gary asked me to write this story on this theme, I honestly felt like I'd worn this identity like a secondhand Rotary Club knitted beanie for so long that obviously the words would just flow out of me like a desperately yearned for piss. <laughs> in the bushes, because you can't wait, and it feels good to piss in nature. But it did not flow, no matter how long I squatted in the backyard. <laughs> I had to force an interrogation beyond what I have been relying on as a catch cry for years now, that no one can tell me I am half of this or half of that. I am fully both, like the other two presenters said. What is identity? Is it the representation of your color <laughs> through your culture, through the tone of your skin? Is it your connection to community, to country, to language? Is it your biological or chosen family? 
Thousands of people who once felt that they belonged in Australia languish in detention centres. The government recently even tried to deport Aboriginal men of mixed heritage for failing character tests, saying, forget about your friends, your family, your community or your home. Your belonging is what we say it is, and we say you don't belong here. Is your identity determined by a document? Belonging and homes are themes I've chewed in my mouth like dry, overcooked meat for years. In me there is coloniser and colonised, black and white. A village on stilts connected by walkways, quiet but for the sound of the shifting tide. And urban streets strumming with crowds and isolation. But does belonging have to be so binary? Isn't it ever evolving? As moments gather and we mark them as memories, they rub and spark against old memories and form patterns like fingerprints. Life is moments, little ones and then slightly bigger ones, moments that creep up, tap you on the shoulder and say, pay attention right here to this moment right now. It will matter later to the person you will become or to the person you wish to become. Like the time I turned up to school in full traditional PNG costume, brass skirt, beads, bird of paradise headdress to find that no one else dressed up for cultural day. While I sat there, half-naked, doing geometry, I wondered... <laughs> I wondered what I might need to do to be okay with this memory. And the answer was to write it down 20-odd years later and use it as material. <laughs> then there was the me who guided my mother through the migrant experience of Sydney as a solo parent. We were like the PNG Gilmore Girls. Um, I'm actually not sure if that's a good comparison because I've never actually watched that show. Um, <laughs> but I navigated banking, shopping, and maps for her while she instructed me on kindness, compassion, and community. Or when my entire debating team came over to my house in order to practice arguing, I was resistant to the idea because Islander homes, like the people, are not subtle. But for some reason it went ahead, even though our toilet was broken at the time and you could only flush it by pulling up a twisted, violent shard of a coat hanger which was jimmied onto the flush lever inside. I'm not bitter about that, I've gotten over it. Um, Every Pacific Islander home will usually have some kind of uh, traditional tapa cloth hanging on the wall or a baby crocodile, again with its insides removed, staring dead-eyed judgmentally at you. <laughs> or a penis gourd hanging off the mailbox <laughs> in case you receive any penis-shaped mail. <laughs> the interior design is like uh, museum chic. On the day that my debating team came to visit, Auntie Evelyn and her cousin sisters, Auntie Rita and Roberta and their niece visiting from home, and the niece's cousin sister and the auntie, um, decided <laughs> to drop in and do what PNG people do best. Sit out the front of the house, chew bittle nut, talk in a lyrical tongue and compete to laugh the loudest. No call ahead, no nothing. Just turn up early and stay late. In the village, there are no fences. There are no right-angled hedges acting kind of like passive-aggressive pseudo-fences. In a village like Korobata, if a person walks past a house and says hello, or even vaguely nods in your direction, you are socially obligated to cook a three-course meal, and then, <laughs> and then you eat the food together. So it was when some of the brightest and whitest academic stars produced by my high school people I wanted to impress at the time turned up on my doorstep. They were greeted by no less than three aunties, several cousin sisters, all sitting on the footpath out the front of my house, blocking the footpath, chewing bittle nut, talking in a lyrical tongue and competing to laugh the loudest. And I died from shame. Shame was a constant in my upbringing, but my only shame now is that I ever felt it. Recently, I found a rare photo of my immediate family together, mum, dad, two boys, two girls, and the different skin tones looked like some kind of paint swatch sampler. 
My eldest brother, tallish, fair, red cheeked, semi-white and Mediterranean looking. My sister, white, but not white white. Hawaiian maybe, Maori. And me, pretty much white white, the strength of my Scottish grandmother's genes, her birthplace in the Glaswegian badlands of the Gorb <laughs> Glaswegian badlands of the Gorbals. It was a kind of uh, a slum of the Scottish, whatever, yeah. At the turn of the 20th century, present in my hair, nose and temper. But my second brother, Andrew, shorter, solid, dark skin like my uncle's, so much so that when he was born, Uncle Lorraine wanted to take the baby back to the village saying he was too black to live a white life. I look at the photo and the joke comes out of my mouth in slow motion like stones being thrown off a bridge, instant momentum. I hear myself saying to my mother, ha, are you sure dad is Andrew's father? <laughs> the TV is on. NCIS LA blares crassly in the background. She says, what did you say? I repeat the joke. Um, she says, why would you say that? And wallows in sadness and self-judgment for days. I wounded a part of her that had been struck with this accusation before, not as a joke by her own daughter carelessly mouthing off in the kitchen after a roast chicken dinner, but small-minded busybodies and family who had shunned her after they tried to shame her one too many times. Shame her with a shaved head, broken bones, leaving her with scars on the soul. When she met my white Australian father at the time a teacher in the local school, she didn't know what kind of fury their interaction would unleash on both black and white sides. Long story short, the story never ended and here I am, a result of the woman who as a child did her sums tracing outlines with her fingers in the sand, a grade chalked in lines on her back, and the man who was never allowed to use his natural left hand at primary school because the inkwells were built into the right side of the desk. Bureaucracy. Marking him as indecipherable for life. Like all other mixed, biracial, cross-cultural, half-and-half pizza, special combo deal individuals, I've asked myself that question, what exactly am I? Not once, but a thousand times. What part is white? What part is black? What is it that defines an identity? Yeah, 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 we are. Is it the amount of time spent in that land you once called home? Is it the tightness of your curls, the curve of your hips, the food you love, your laugh, the lines written in chalk on your back? Is it the amount, oh, I said that bit already. Belonging is not a document, it's a personal truth, a morsel that you can chew for a while but eventually you swallow until it becomes a part of you. I live with my parents now with my husband and two little boys back in the house with the coat hanger toilet flush. My mother sits with them and teaches them language like mero mero, meaning little boy, or vadaini, that's enough, or inai guaruma davanahida, how much for this fish? Because now that my mother is the last road to the village, the village is not an eternity away. Even without the smoking hills, the yellow feathered spears, my kids can still travel through that portal. They will not be observers. They are Motuans, Papua New Guineans, Pacific Islanders, regardless of what their passport says. And they do not have to be subtle. They just need to be curious, collecting words, stories, and memories for that moment one day when they ask themselves, what exactly am I? Hanoi boy, namona, tanakyu. Good night and thanks.